Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is Jeff T. from the Club 520 Podcast. When it comes to your feet, eBay's got your back. When you see the blue check mark that says authenticity guaranteed, that means real experts are checking your sneakers. Every stitch, down to the sole. They even smell them because nothing says fresh like the scent of real kicks. So kick back and relax. From the drop to your doorstep, eBay doesn't play games with your sneaker game. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal with eBay Authenticity Guaranteed. Visit ebay.com for terms. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hey, everybody. I'm Logan Camden. I'm Carson Brabber. And this is Nerd Sesh. No! Oh, my God. How could he do that? What? Charles Darwin. All right. Well, today we are incredibly already back to basketball. And the season only ended a couple weeks ago. Not even that. But since this offseason is going to be so abbreviated, we're already going to get into our full-on preview. So we're going to be going division by division, doing two divisions per episode, previewing these teams' entire upcoming offseasons, looking at free agency, looking at the draft. And today we're starting with sort of a loaded episode, in my opinion. We're going to be talking about the Atlantic Division, which I think is fascinating, and the Central Division, which is also interesting in its own way. So let's start from the top of the Atlantic with the Toronto Raptors, who obviously are coming off of an incredible season, but also maybe some have questioned their championship ceiling. There's talk about what direction they want to take this roster in, and they have a bunch of big decisions to make because a number of significant guys on this team are free agents. You have Fred Van Vliet, Marcus Gasol, Serge Ibaka, less significant but still an interesting piece, Chris Boucher. So let's start with sort of those three biggest guys. What do you think is the Raptors' route as far as who do they bring back, who do they possibly let walk? I only think they can bring back two of three of these guys. Obviously, the most important asset is Fred Van Vliet. If I'm other teams outside of the Raptors, I am definitely trying to price them out. I am going to try to bait the Raptors into letting Van Vliet go and bringing back Abaka and Gasol. Gasol and Abaka are both huge assets. I think Abaka is slightly more valuable coming off of 15 points and 8 boards, but Gasol's a really valuable asset as a screener and just a high IQ defender and roller, so I think they need to bring Van Vliet back and keep that cap open. I would say you got to let Marc Gasol go, ideally just because there's not enough money going around. And if you can get these guys on $10 million deals, Gasol and Ibaka, maybe try to get it going, but i got a feeling both of these guys are got, not going to take those pay cuts. If you bring back Van, Van Vliet, I think that you have to bring back Boucher as well, just because he's a guy that you don't have to get acclimated to your system. You don't have to get you know ready if you're bringing in a free agent. Or maybe explore a guy like Aaron Baines as well as another big man. But Van Vliet is a must-have uh, bring back for the Raptors. He is much too valuable an asset. And there's nobody else really in the draft or free agency that could replicate what Van Vliet does for this team. I totally agree. I think that the Gas- Gasol is the one who has to go from this equation. 
I think that it's pretty easy. He killed them in the playoffs. He was borderline unplayable, negative 12 on-off splits, and we've just seen him definitively take that step back. And if you can get him with your mid-level exception, if he'll take like $5 million, that's fine, but... I think you have to pay Van Vliet, even if it's 20 to $25 million a year. He was the best offensive player for them in their entire playoff run, giving them 20-7 and seven on 39% from deep. I think he's a top 40 guy. He's essential to what they do on both ends of the ball. And I think also Ibaka just had probably the best season of his career at 31. So you talk about if you can get Gasol and Ibaka on these $10 million deals, I just don't think you're going to get Ibaka from that. I think you're going to have to give him maybe two years, 35 to 40 million. I think he's going to be high teens. And I think that he's earned it at this point. He was that good. He was that important to this team. And yeah, then you're locking yourself in on this roster, but also what else are you going to do? And that's why I still favor a slightly short-term deal because I think that the thing that every Raptors fan is optimistically looking at is if they go out there and get Giannis in the 2021 offseason, which I actually think Toronto is one of the situations where he fits relatively seamlessly. They have assets to give up. And if you are trying to position yourself to do that, getting Van Vliet and Ibaka does not handicap you because Lowry's deal expires at the end of 2021. You're probably going to have to move Siakam, so you're moving big money then while you're also bringing in Giannis. That's down the road. You're not going to trade for Giannis Antetokounmpo because the Bucks are not going to give him up. But I feel like Ibaka is a must-bring back even at that relatively high price tag because, interestingly... The Raptors' lineups with Ibaka at center actually weren't as good as their lineups with Gasol at center for the most part, but based on the level that he played at, I'm all in on trying to make it work, trying that experiment out. I think that, yes, he's obviously lost a step as a rim protector, but offensively, man, that's a lot of great shooters on the floor. That's a lot of guys who can get their own shots, and I think that that's really interesting. I want to talk about Boucher because I know you said that you want to bring him back. My question is, what is his value? Because I can kind of see him getting to a point where the market maybe overvalues him a little bit. And since the Raptors, if they're bringing back Van Vliet and Ibaka on these larger around $20 million a year deals, where they might not be able to bring back Boucher at the at the mark that he gets up to. What do you think Boucher's asking price is for other teams? I think he might get 8 to $10 million a year, which is maybe a little bit strange for a guy who played 62 games this year. But I think that, and yeah, he's also 27 years old and he has this limited established production, but per 36, obviously you saw him produce. There were times where he came in and really changed the game. Obviously a dynamic rim protector, a 32% career shooter from deep, but I think that he has potential to be better than that. He's got a pretty sweet shooting stroke and dynamic athlete. So even though he hasn't done that much, I could see someone else giving him a little more. And then I don't know if the Raptors can match that. Yeah, I think he adds value as a stretch five. As you said, a rim protector, he's also a great athlete. But uh, I think with a pretty thin center and power forward market for this offseason, I can see somebody paying him. But I don't know. To me, it just, I feel like he's a guy that could go under the radar. At 27, I don't see anybody, unless the New York Knicks say, hey, let's bring in another power forward. I don't see somebody throwing him a, a bag that big. But it's a very real possibility. And my thing with that is, Obviously, he was good in the minutes he played. He also didn't play very much for a reason. This team is really deep, and I think that if he does get up to that 8 to $10 million a year range, they can replace that value with someone who is a little cheaper in the draft. So we talked about them bringing back guys. As we mentioned, they're not really going to have much cap flexibility, but they will have a mid-level exception. Maybe they can do some other tinkering. So do you think that they bring in any free agents of significance beyond just signing back their guys? 
I would say if they lose out on Abaka and Orgasol, I think they should make a run at Aaron Baines just because he fits the mold for any team as a big man, just defense and three-point shooting. And I'm going to make this case later with Van Vliet because I think another team on this list, it makes a lot of sense for Van Vliet to at least get a contract offer from them. Chris Chiazza is really the only point guard that's in a similar mold to Fred Van Vliet, my boy Cheese. So uh, he's a, a target I think they should at least explore if they can't bring back Freddie. Or if they want to go super, like minimum uh, mid-level exception, I say Jeff Teague is probably a solid option just as a ball handler and facilitator. Uh, do you think there's any guys that are sticking out that would really make sense on this Raptors squad? No, I really like what you said with Baines if they lose those guys. But I think that right now, I love their top eight. I don't think they need more ball handlers. They already have two great guys at that in Van Vliet and Lowry. I don't think they need more wing defense or more pure shooters. Maybe a backup big with that mid-level exception. That's the only spot that I really highlighted. But I feel really good about the Raptors returning this roster. They're going to be a very good basketball team. The only thing you could question is, will they be a championship basketball team? And you're not going to change that in this free agency. So let's look at the draft now, where this team isn't really going to have dramatic room for improvement. They picked 29th and 59th. Probably not going to br bring in any groundbreaking talent, but where do you see them going first with that 29th pick? I'd say TCU's Desmond Bain makes a lot of sense. With the uh, guard rotation on this roster, uh, guys like Norman Powell, Patrick McCall, OG Ananobi, not a lot of dynamicism from those guys. I mean, they're solid contributors, but a guy like Bain really just brings in solid shooting, and it's, it's what every team needs in the league. He's going to be a valuable asset, so if he's not available at 29, I won't be surprised. Uh, he's a 43% career three-point shooter, 46% his sophomore year, and 44% this senior year. He's two-time All-Big 12. He's a He's a real smart rotator. He's smart positionally. He's great closing out on shooters. Um, and if Bain isn't around, I'd say they take a look at Josh Green out of Arizona. You mentioned that if they lose out on Abaca and Gasol, it'd be smart to take a look at big men. The only big man that I think really fits here is Isaiah Stewart out of Washington just because he's such a tough, hard-nosed paint defender and rebounder. Uh, they say he's got a... I've heard reports that say he's got a promising three-point shot. He shot 5 of 20, so I'm not really sold on that. But just as a defender and rebounder, I think it makes sense filling in for Ibaka and Gasol. But uh, not really a whole lot of assets. But they can make this team significantly better if they get the pick right. So I like your wing selections. My thinking was, in my hypothetical reality, where they let both Gasol and Boucher go, they need another big man who can at least play rotational minutes. So one of the guys who I looked at was Isaiah Stewart, just because as that physical rim protector, he'll give you solid defensive minutes off the bat. I just don't love his game offensively, and maybe all they need is that rim protection, because right now they don't have a traditional defensive five, so maybe he is more important. But I got enticed by Zeke Naji. You talked about Josh Green out of Arizona. I'm going to go with his running mate there in Zeke, because when I look at the Raptors, I kind of want to just take guys who I feel like have talent that can be molded and improved upon, and... I think that Najee is one of those guys, he brings immediately that motor that is going to make him a valuable guy for this team, that agility, that athleticism, that rim running. The issue is, as I mentioned, that he's probably not that ideal rim protector right now, but if he can continue to improve upon his jump shot, get more consistency there, then he's a weapon, and I think that he would be intriguing. Second round, I'll be honest, I really don't care. I don't think that they're going to get a rotational piece for a team that was as good as they were with the 59th pick, I would just say basically a spot-up shooter. So where you went for that Desmond Bain in the first round, I would maybe take a guy in that role in the second round. But even for that, they have Matt Thomas. No one's going to be better than Matt Thomas in that role. This team is just pretty much set there. Did you have anyone who stood out for you that late in the draft, though? I didn't even look at anybody that late in the draft. <laughs> 
Yeah, and especially for this Raptors team, I just don't think it matters because they are so deep as is. So I think they have a lot of really interesting questions this offseason. I hope at the very least that Van Vliet does not get dragged away to the Knicks or some hideous basketball situation like that because it's so much fun for me to watch him play alongside these guys. Let's move on to the team that knocked out the Raptors in the Boston Celtics, who are also pretty locked in cap-wise. They're already committed to $140 million for next year when the cap will probably be around 115 as an estimate. But do you see them doing anything in free agency that's of significance? Uh, no, I think it's really going to focus around the draft for the Celtics. You mentioned their contract situation. Hayward and Tatum's contracts worked out well so that Hayward gets off the books, Tatum can get his bag, but Jalen Brown's contract also kicks in next season. Honestly, a big move for the Celtics this offseason, I think they should at least try to shop around Kemba Walker a little more. Not really a dominating performance in the playoffs, and Jason Tatum is going to evolve into this ball handler and dominant scorer for this rotation, so... I think that Kemba, they should at least take a look at what he gives them just to open up their cap situation a little more, although there's not really a whole lot of point guards on the market now, so it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I'm just saying that the Celtics seem like they need just another dominant takeover score. Kemba didn't really look like that in this year's playoffs. Um, Some guys off the books, Wanamaker, Taco Fall, Tremont Waters, I say bring in another minimum point guard. Don't worry about Wanamaker. Bring back Taco because he's the guy. But Yeah, I don't think that this team has very much to look at in free agency. Wanamaker... Maybe I'll throw under $5 million his way. You talked about supplementing that position elsewhere. Maybe with your mid-level exception, there's a couple guys who I think could be interesting. I can't imagine the Pacers let him go, but I think Justin Holiday could be really good for this team. I thought about maybe Bryn Forbes if he gets out of San Antonio. There is one more question that I have that I think is interesting. You talked about moving Kemba. I don't know how I feel about that. Yes, you're right. He was not at his best. He was thrown off in the playoffs. He did not show up when they needed him most. I also think this is an all-NBA level guy a year ago who is still in his prime, and this is a team that, although they also have an extended window, they want to win now, and I don't think you're going to supplement that talent elsewhere. The only question that I thought about is, now that Gordon Hayward is an expiring contract, can they move on from him at that huge bill because now maybe another team is a little bit more interested. Maybe they can get another asset out of it, maybe a pick. And if so, who would they try to acquire? Do you have any intrigue in them trying something like that? Because I actually don't think it's a great move, but I do think it's something that you can consider at this point. Unless it's a direct one-to-one-year swap where it's a guy on a one-year $30 million deal, I don't think you can move Hayward just because you're sacrificing uh, Tatum for the future. Like, I've seen a a Hayward for Horford move, which makes sense, in my uh, opinion, positionally for both teams, the Celtics and the Sixers, because the Sixers need a you know, just a guy who can handle the rock and shoot a little bit, but uh, Horford's contract is much too long to make that work, and I just I just don't see Gordon Hayward going anywhere. Obviously, he's going to opt into the player option. I don't think they can move him anywhere without sacrificing uh, Jason Tatum's money. And I also think we need to remember that, yeah, he wasn't at his best in the playoffs, but he was really, really good when he was healthy. He was a borderline all-star through a couple months of the year, averaging 17.5, and 7-4 really efficiently, so... He's overpaid, but you're not going to open up cap regardless, and I think that you got to ride it out and see how it works, and maybe he unlocks a new ceiling for you, and maybe if you run him more with that bench unit, he can be really special. The other spot that I looked at just for them in free agency is maybe a backup center. I just don't really know who. Would have been nice if they had held on to Aaron Baines, but I personally just hope that one of the Williamses steps up and really fills that role successfully, and then the wing depth that I talked about, maybe looking at a Holiday or a Forbes for, Maybe it's Romeo Langford who steps up in that role. But 
let's go to the draft now because the Celtics have two first round picks. They pick 26th and they pick 30th. So who are you looking at in those spots? Uh, I'm so glad you mentioned the two spots, the big man spot and the wing spot. I think that somehow, some way, if they can come away with R.J. Hampton, it will be a massive haul for the Celtics. Hampton stock has kind of taken a massive dive after going to Australia, and you see them take Romeo Langford, as you mentioned last year. Uh, I just The Celtics like taking best guy available. Hampton seems like he'll slide a little bit, and he makes a little too much sense. Uh, for the backup big spot, I think they need to take a look at Daniel Oturu out of Minnesota because... As you mentioned with the Williams, 6'6", Grant Williams, 6'8", Time Lord, Robert Williams, the defensively inept Ennis Cantor. Oturu just makes a little more sense defensively. And if he can, he has a reliable mid-range jumper. If he can move out to the three-point line, it increases his value extremely. So, also, when Tice's contract is up after next season, Oturu could slide in and potentially be your starting caliber center if you want to move on from Tice. So, I think they definitely need to address that backup center position because Grant Williams and Robert Williams do not seem like long-term options, even as backups, especially not Grant. Uh, but, yeah, I think Oturu makes a, way too much sense for where he's slated to be picked in the draft. I love Oturu, and I actually think that that's a better selection than what I had in mind. I had Isaiah Stewart down here as a potential option just because he also has that value defensively to where the Celtics don't have very many legitimate big men they can play in that spot with how Robert Williams has performed at the very least, and you get killed in those canter minutes, and Stewart can be a stopgap there, but Oturu, to me, I just like how he plays basketball way more, whereas Stewart can kind of be a black hole in the post, and yes, he's really strong, but he's not as fluid as agile. Oturu can run the floor, he can protect the rim, there's jump shooting potential there. I don't know why he hasn't risen higher in conversations throughout this draft, and I think he would be a steal at 30, and at 26... You talked about RJ Hampton for that point guard spot. Realistically, I still don't think that he's going to fall that far. I think that there's a lot of intrigue around him. But there is a guy who I probably like more who has taken such a precipitous fall, and I just think it's stupid. To me, if you can get Nico Mannion at 26 to fill that backup point guard role at a really high level, you're talking about way better than Brad Wanamaker. Yeah, Gordon Hayward's going to facilitate for the second unit, but Mannion is going to compete on defense. He can be valuable off the ball. He's a great passer within the flow of things, and I just think he's a really good basketball player, and I don't understand why we all decided that he was going from being a borderline top 10 guy to outside of the first round. Logan, you look absolutely shocked. What is, <laughs> what is causing that reaction for you? How is Nico Mannion slated to go 25th? That doesn't make any sense. It's ridiculous. I don't understand why he's taking this fall. He's such a high IQ guy. He has so many offensive tools, and he's a dog. Yeah, he doesn't exactly have overwhelming length on the defensive end, but he's going to compete there and I think is a really competent facilitator on day one for this team. Yeah, Mannion's a great passer, a playmaker. I like that pick too. It makes a lot of sense for the Boston Celtics and what they need off that bench. I cannot imagine a world where Mannion falls that far, though. I think it becomes more and more real. And he's kind of generally slotted in the 20s somewhere. So if he gets the 26, I think that would be a huge addition. The Celtics do have one more pick in the middle of the second round, 47th. Did anyone pop out to you out of that group? Uh, I mean, if you have shooters that late again, it's just another thing that I think they should look at. Um, a guy like Isaiah Joe, although he's probably going to go in the first round. I don't think he falls that far. Maybe Jameis Ramsey uh, out of Texas Tech as well. But... Uh, just add more shooting and depth to this roster. I agree with that thinking. I went with a little bit of a bigger wing, but his same value is that shooting. I thought maybe Jordan and Wara, 
who I like his scoring punch a lot. He has his issues defensively and basically anytime he's not shooting the basketball, but he can shoot the lights out and I just don't think this team has any dramatic needs, so you're probably going to be in relatively best player available mode. So let's move on to the Philadelphia 76ers now. Another interesting offseason. They obviously have so many flaws that they need to correct, but so many limitations as far as how they can go about doing it because they have three more years of Horford on the books. They have four more years of Tobias Harris on the books, which is just so insane, so sad, honestly. And there's just nothing they can do about those. So when you look at this team's route in free agency, if it's via trade, how do they retool and fix the issues that plague them for this entire past season? Obviously, it's the spacing issues. You said it. They've got to move on from Horford or Harris or both. I'm going to be honest. I don't see Al Horford going anywhere because I don't know a team that's going to want to trade for a $30 million guy who puts up 12 points a night. So that leaves out Tobias Harris. Um, I've heard Wizards talk, Harris Thibel in the 21st pick, potentially another first rounder to Washington for Beal. I think it's pretty unlikely that the Wizards accept because it seems like they're intent on keeping Beal and Wall. Um, the other one I've heard is Oklahoma City, Harris in the 21st pick for maybe Chris Paul. Uh, with Gallinari more than likely getting a bag somewhere else, Harris will fill the power forward spot. And the Thunder have SGA and Schroeder ready to eat up CP3's minutes. It's another long shot. I think the Thunder really like Chris Paul, so I don't see them moving on from him either, but uh, stranger things have happened. That's what I see on the trade side. Uh, do you see any other potential routes for Harris or Horford? I do not really, and that's the thing. I think that both of the outcomes that you outlined would be incredible for the Sixers. They might become my championship favorite if they had those guys on their rosters, but I just don't see anyone taking on that many more years of Tobias Harris. So to me then... You have to now, as Elton Brand, be savvy in a way that he has not previously. So I have a whole plan outlined for the Sixers team. I like Shake Milton a lot. I think that he is obviously incredibly long defensively. Not that the Sixers need more of that, but it's nice to have a 6'5 guy with a 7-foot wingspan who can be your quote-unquote point guard. Great shooter, can get his own bucket, can distribute to others. But either way, even if he's a good rotation piece, this team needs more shooting and shot creation. So here's what I think. You're not going to be able to move on from Harris. You're not going to be able to move on from Horford. But you do have another intriguing asset on your roster in Josh Richardson, who you look at individually, and yeah, maybe he's relatively the best shooter of this bunch. I would say that Harris is probably still a better pure shooter. But I think that they need to look into giving up Richardson and then Zaire Smith, if he's still considered an asset at all, maybe a pick, to go get Evan Fournier, who will be opting in to his player option, presumably in Orlando. Because Josh Richardson is a very good NBA player. Yes, he brings length, he brings defense, he brings secondary playmaking. He also only shot 34% from three. And Fournier is the kind of guy who can get you around 20 a night with incredible efficiency and can be weaponized as that off-ball guy just coming off screens all day and knock down those shots. And I think we see that in that not only is Fournier a better shooter, 47% of his attempts came from deep versus 38% of Richardson's attempts. So I think you let the magic think, Oh, look at Josh Richardson. He has long arms. He can be a secondary playmaker because it seems like that's literally all they ever want. Aaron Gordon fits that description. Jonathan Isaac fits that description. And you just throw him to them. And then you get yourself an actual weapon in Evan Fournier who can punish teams for collapsing on your dynamic interior presences. Who can open up the floor beyond Furkan playing his minutes. And I love Furkan, but he's not exactly a 30-minute-a-game, 18-point-per-game scorer like Fournier could be. And... I just think that they have to go with that route. They have to open things up, and I don't think that they're going to be able to move Harris or Horford 
What do you think about them doing essentially a Richardson for Fournier swap? That's genius. I tried to work out a way for Evan Fournier to get to any other team we were talking about today, except if the Magic have him on the roster. I don't really see them moving on, but Richardson is a very intriguing piece to throw at them. It's one that they could accept. Uh, And Fournier on this roster makes a lot of sense. He's a great playmaker. He's a great off-the-ball shooter. He's uh, He's a great shooter straight up. If the Sixers can pull this off, it definitely helps them, although there's still, I think, going to be some spacing issues with Horford and Harris on the floor, but I think that's the best possible outcome if they can't move either of them off the team. Honestly, at this point, I'm not even sure how much I want Al Horford to play. I know you're paying him $30 million a year. Maybe he's an 18 to 20 a minute, minutes a game spot guy because he's just hurting this team when he's out there on the floor. When their five quote-unquote best guys were out there last year, they sucked. Their offensive rating was like 98. It's the worst in basketball by a mile. So, I don't know if there are any other free agency moves for you. I thought maybe they go get Trey Burke. They just gave him up because I don't know what they're doing. But I honestly don't care about his defensive minuses, although they are abundant. I just think this team needs offensive explosion and shooting, and then I can figure out the rest. And that was my theme for how I wanted to retool this entire offseason. I thought about maybe going out and getting Bellinelli, Bryn Forbes, just pure shooters. And that theme continues for me in the draft. Was there anyone else you looked at in free agency for this team? Uh, yeah, two real guys. Uh, they need a backup big to run the four or five because uh, Mike Scott should not be getting minutes and Kylo Quinn is off the books. Maybe, as you said, if they move Horford to the bench, this really isn't that big of a deal. Uh, they need to look at uh, Davis Bertans just because he can shoot that pill, but I think he's going to get a bag somewhere else, so probably off limits for Philly. Regardless of if they get any of these other moves done, you've got to make a run at Joe Harris. It makes way too much sense. 2017 and 2018, Redick averaged 17 and 18 just off ball on Ben Simmons. Harris is the perfect weapon alongside a passing point guard. I think whatever you have to do, clear the cap, open some money up, pay Joe Harris a bag because he is going to be a weapon alongside Ben Simmons. I like that a lot. And I don't know if they'll necessarily be able to get a Joe Harris along with a Fournier. So my thought is, You basically just take chances on as many guys who you feel can complement your talent, and you hope that one of them works out. So, this Sixers team has five picks in this draft. They pick 21, 34, 36, 49, 58. I kind of want to go pick by pick. Let's start with the most valuable, 21st. Who do you have in mind for the Sixers there? Uh, Again, we're going to stick with the theme here, shooting. I'd probably say Sadiq Bey, just because he was one of the best three-point shooters uh, in the country this season. Uh, Other shooters, Jameis Ramsey, really... Whoever is the best shooter available available at 21, take him. Aaron Neesmith, Sadiq Bey, whoever it is, draft him. I like that thinking. I think that Sadiq is a guy who is probably going to go higher than this right now. I'm not sure if he should, but I think that pure shooters in this value people are getting so excited about because, or in this draft, I should say. So at 21, I'm going to go with Kira Lewis Jr. And he's a guy who the range he's going to be taken in varies widely. I think he might still be there and he can shoot. He's an explosive athlete. He can create for himself and others. I think you could weaponize him as a cutter. I thought about Josh Green for that 3 and D role, but I'm just not a huge Josh Green guy. I He seems to have improved as a shooter, and that's good. That's promising. He can compete defensively. The guy has no handle, though, and I don't know. I just don't love his fluidity, how he moves necessarily. So I thought about Kira Lewis Jr. there. For 34, I thought about taking another swing at a backup point guard, basically, in Grant Riller, who is out of Charleston, who I think is a really nice prospect. 
who offensively provides exactly what they need. He's got a deep bag. He's got a nice handle. He's a dynamic shot maker, relatively athletic, and defensively, relatively lazy. But he has the tools to improve there, and if he buys into the system, he could be really good. And he, to me, is that kind of guy who can operate at the point, whereas you can sort of weaponize Lewis as that off-ball guy. I think that Riller can really be that facilitator, and I think that that's interesting. So when you look at 34, who did you consider there? Uh I thought about Malachi Flynn out of San Diego State just because he's such a good passer. But honestly, I think the guy that makes a lot more sense here is Peyton Pritchard. Just because, you know what playmaking he gives to the squad? And he's just a killer, man. He's a killer. He will put up whatever shot you need, and he's a great shooter. So I just think that's what's missing from the Sixers bench. I like Shake Milton, but Peyton Pritchard's a little more dynamic than that, and I think could provide just natural scoring and uh, great pick-and-roll play uh, off the bench. I like that. It's sort of the same thinking as Riller. You have that savvy facilitator. I also am pretty sure that I was mispronouncing Kyra Lewis Jr.'s name that entire time. I'm pretty sure it's Kyra. I always forget. So at 36, just a couple picks later, I was thinking maybe Elijah Hughes for them out of Syracuse. He has that potential to me as a secondary playmaker. Bring some shooting. Bring some defense there. Who did you think about for that spot? Yeah, I like the Hughes pick. It makes a lot of sense. If you're not able to get your guard earlier in the draft for some reason, maybe take a look at Trey Jones just because I like him as a defender and a pure passer uh, off the bench. But yeah, no, I like Elijah Hughes. uh, And if he's available there, I think the Sixers should nab him up. So last couple picks at 48, I just think another shooter. I don't think it really matters who just take a shot there. And then 59, you mentioned that backup, that backup big role. That's sort of where I see the Sixers addressing it. I thought about maybe Nick Richards because he's an explosive athlete. He has rim-running potential. Not the most advanced all-around prospect, but I don't think they necessarily need that. For the last couple Sixers picks, did anyone stand out to you? Uh, You know, I'm a Vernon Carey Jr. guy. I think he might make a little bit of sense behind a guy like Embiid just to get coached up-wise. Also, his stock is taking a fall. So, yeah, take a flyer on a guy with uh, maybe potentially pretty big upside. I'm not a big Vernon Carey Jr. guy. I'll be honest about it. But at 58... (laughs) then you're talking about it being reasonable at that point. So we just talked about what I think is one of the most interesting off-season outlines with the Sixers. We have another fascinating one here with the Brooklyn Nets, who are all of a sudden, out of the blue, retooling into championship mode, and they're another team. Not much cap flexibility. $140 million committed right now for next season. The first guy we look at is Joe Harris, who is a free agent. How do they go about that situation? I don't think you can re-sign Joe Harris. I just don't think wow. it works. Uh, you could trade. Uh, and yeah, I don't think they should just let him walk. I think you should try to clear some money. I don't know if that's by moving Dinwiddie, Levert, or Allen. All of them make sense. Also could be used in trade packages potentially for uh, someone else. But yeah, you try to clear up a little space. But honestly, with... And I think they'd I think he'd work perfectly alongside Kyrie and Katie. He'd be open all the time just by standing in the corner. But... Uh, the cap situation is hard, and I think Joe Harris is going to get some big money, so I don't really see him sticking around in Brooklyn. That's interesting. I think we will see how much value he has on the open market. I know that Sean Marks has said it is priority number one to bring him back, and to me, you move DeAndre Jordan if you need to, you move Torian Prince, whatever it takes to get that little bit of cap flexibility to get Joe Harris back on this team because he is such a clearly valuable piece for them. With DeAndre Jordan being such good friends with Kyrie and KD, do you think that, does that make them angry if if they move Jordan? Does it really affect the team as a whole? 
This is why you don't let players dictate anything. Why was DeAndre Jordan given four years, $40 million to come here? It's one of the worst contracts that I can think of. So I don't know. Maybe you need to deal with their little egos because Kyrie and KD are a couple of sensitive boys, if we're being honest. But I just think you got to get Harris back. It's so much more important to this basketball team. So is there anything else that stands out for you in free agency or in trades? Because I have another plan like the Sixers. I have a real plan in my mind for the Nets. But what are you what are you thinking? Yeah, so, I mean, if they want to go really cheap, I think that uh, Bertans, if, again, I don't really know how much contract, how, what his, uh, what it's going to look like for him. I think he might get more than Joe Harris. And, yeah, and that's that's really the factor. I think that any team should make a run at Bertans or Harris if the contract is right. Um, but, yeah, you mentioned a trade, and I think that this team doesn't want Tari and Prince to run the three. Obviously, KD's going to take that role. I don't know who pulls in for the four, but what I think makes a lot of sense is you take Dinwiddie, you take Levert, and you take Allen, and you can either move them in separate trades and then go out and try to sign Danilo Gallinari, which makes you an immediate title favorite out in the East, or, and this one doesn't provide you nearly as much scoring, uh, you try to drag Paul Millsap out from Denver and get him on a slightly cheaper deal. He provides pretty good defense and rebounding, and I think he fits in right well with the lineup because he's not going to command the ball. He'll let Kyrie and KD run the offense. He can just set screens and play high IQ basketball. So, Millsap, Gallinari, uh, really just someone for that three or four spot. I think both of those guys make sense if the Nets can make the right moves. I like that aggression, and we had similar thinking. I think that there has to be a retooling of this roster because when I look at Torian Prince probably starting at the three for this team because you want Levert coming off the bench, I don't feel great about that. And I think that you have to choose between Levert and Dinwiddie. And I don't think they can coexist. They both need to be those facilitators, those guys who get themselves their bucket with the second unit. They were both the best player on this team in different stretches, and I don't know if they can coexist when they are 6th and 7th men. So, Levert probably has more value on the open market, but I also think he's more versatile. I think he's much easier to fit alongside Kyrie and KD because he has more defensive value. He's a better spot-up shooter. And Dinwiddie's deal is a bargain. $11.4 million for a guy who gave you 20 and 7 this year and was in at least the outskirts of the all-star conversation. So here's where I think they go. I think that the LA Lakers could still tremendously benefit from having that caliber of a guy running their second unit in Spencer Dinwiddie. He is that kind of dynamic facilitator and shot creator who, yes, they survived without this year because Rondo stepped up and kind of filled that role miraculously. I would so much rather have Spencer Dinwiddie doing that, though, because I know he can consistently get me buckets in a way where it doesn't just look like it's a miracle for a stretch. And I think that the Lakers also have assets that are very valuable for this Nets team. In Avery Bradley and Kyle Kuzma, I think those are a couple of wings who this Lakers team doesn't desperately need. We saw them do it without Bradley this season, and we saw them not necessarily lean on Kuzma, but I think that for the Nets, then you get a couple quality shot makers. You get a couple guys who, in Bradley, a great defend, a defender. In Kyle Kuzma, a guy who has some potential there. And I know it's not ideal for either of these teams to do business with each other, but I think it's a real win-win. The Nets get two upgrades at the wing spots. Dinwiddie is better utilized in a situation where he's a more cohesive basketball fit and can, to me, take the Lakers up another level. And then your top seven guys, if you're the Nets, are Katie, Kyrie, Levert, Harris, Bradley, Allen, Kuzma. And then you also have Torian Prince. You have TLC, who was much improved in the bubble, who could maybe fill in a meaningful role. I just think that that's a real championship roster. And when I look at them right now, even though Dinwiddie is so good, 
I don't see championship potential because I don't see enough ball to go around. I don't see enough defensive versatility. I don't see enough pure shooting. And I think that this move would fix all of that. Do you have any thoughts on that? Do you have any other potential destinations for Dinwiddie in specific? And do you think that Dinwiddie and Levert can coexist at all? Uh, I don't think they can coexist. As you mentioned, defensively, that's going to be a huge issue, even alongside if you're putting them alongside Kyrie. You need to have that defensive guard play. Uh, I really like the Lakers trade that you just laid out. Dinwiddie on the Lakers would be a menace just because he's so versatile. You can play him as an off-ball shooter off LeBron. You can have him as that off-the-bench playmaker. He just is so versatile in many lineups. I even like the most thing that I like out of this trade is getting Kyle Kuzma out of L.A. You bring him to Brooklyn, I think his role greatly improves just because, like, KD and Kyrie are going to have a lot of the possessions, but I feel like Kuzma's role can just expand in so many other ways because LeBron dominates the Rock so much. Yeah, I think that that would just make both of these teams improved and maybe the top two championship contenders, in my opinion, because I just don't want to understand undersell how good Dinwiddie is. Like, yeah, he has his efficiency problems, but the dude is a walking bucket, and he's also a really intelligent playmaker. He can do it on all three levels, and I think he would have been more efficient this year if he didn't have such an incredibly taxing role because he just had to take so many tough shots all season long. So let's look at the draft where they pick 19th in the first round. They pick 55th in the second round. Let's start with 19. Who is intriguing to you there for the Nats? I think your boy out of Maryland, Jalen Smith, makes a little too much sense. Uh, you've been high on him uh, really early in the year. I think he's got potential superstar written all over him. 6'10", 225, shot 36% from deep, two blocks a game. So if you're concerned about Jared Allen or DeAndre Jordan down there in the paint, this guy gives you upside for the future when you can move off that horrendous DeAndre Jordan contract. Uh, if you're not a fan of Jared Allen and you just feel like he's lazy out there on the floor, I, I just Jalen Smith has such solid all-around game. Even after KD and Kyrie, if you can keep Jalen Smith around, this guy could be your franchise superstar for the future. Logan, that is the first name I had written down. And he's risen dramatically since I first brought him up when he was talking about being picked around 40. Now he's a borderline lottery guy, but if you can get him at 19, he can immediately protect the rim at a really high level. He's obviously an excellent floor spacer. He's also capable of getting out to guard the perimeter. So I hope, first of all, I pray to God that this team doesn't start DeAndre Jordan and that they start Jared Allen. But I think that Jalen Smith could be better than Jared Allen on day one. I think that he could be that ready to contribute immediately. Another guy who I looked at, who you just mentioned a couple minutes ago with the Sixers, Sadiq Bey. I think just a guy who is a weapon as a shooter. The thing is, both of these guys are probably considered to be likely to be drafted a couple spots higher than this. But if you have to trade up three or four spots to get one of those guys, I think you do it in my opinion because... This team needs to have that kind of immediate contributor. They are not in for any projects, and these are two guys who fit that bill. 55, I don't really care. When we get to the last five picks of the draft for teams that are probably contending for a championship, I don't really look at many guys and think, wow, they're all that important. I thought about maybe Sam Merrill out of Utah State. He's, to me, got serious potential as an off-ball shooter. He can create for himself a little bit. Nice touch. Was there anyone who you really thought about in that spot? I mean, if Odoka Azubuke is somehow still available at 55, I think he's a no-brainer just because of his size and what he brings to the table, rebounding and blocking, but I, it, I don't expect him to be available at 55. So we've talked about four teams that are all together looking pretty darn good for next year, but there is one more team in the Atlantic Division, and that is the New York Knickerbockers, who, boy, is it ugly right now. It is as ugly now as ever. 
What do they do first of all in free agency? Scott Perry, uh, we need to get one thing straight, bud. You got a lot of cap space, but you're not getting any superstars. The, the the best thing that the Knicks can do is just accrue as much young talent and just build a competitive roster. Go the go the Pistons route. Just get eliminated in the first round. Just please be competitive because the Knicks keep putting their eggs in the free agency basket and they never go anywhere. On the good side for this Knicks team, Mo Harkless and Damian Dotson come off the books. You let Mo go to a contending team. You let Dotson go. Decline Bobby Portis's and Taj Gibson's team options. You save some money in that regard. You see if you can deal Julius Randle because Julius Randle, to me, is not a winning basketball player. He just does not have the offensive skill set for a modern-day four. Um, it's going to be ugly. There's not really a big free agent class that the Knicks in their big cap space can even make a run at. I think the guy that they have to target, though, Carson, is Fred Van Vliet. You said you don't want you don't want to see him go to the Knicks. I don't want to see Fred VanVleet go to the Knicks. Either way, you throw him a bag because he can competently run an offense. And yeah, it it it's tough because I think the Knicks may go guard in the draft, and then that just totally negates a VanVleet option because the draft comes before free agency. I think ideally they target VanVleet and they try to go get their big man in the draft. But uh, really, there's not a whole lot of high profile moves. Do you think the Knicks should target VanVleet? Are there any other high caliber guys that they should make a run at in your opinion? I don't think they should go get Van Vliet because if they get Van Vliet, it's probably going to be for like four years, $110 million or something that is just not good for this team long term. I think they're going to have to overpay him to get him to come. I think that a lot of what you said is correct. I think that you drop Gibson, you drop Portis, obviously, and you can still suck. And you should still suck, but suck in a way that helps RJ Barrett, man, because... This Knicks spacing was so atrocious this entire season. First of all, they gave up their best shooter in Marcus Morris. Not exactly the best floor spacer because he does like to do his mid-range stuff and whatnot, but he was shooting 44% from deep. The Knicks made the least threes in basketball on the fourth worst percentage in the NBA this year. So here's what I think you do. Go get Bellinelli or Etwan Moore or Myers Leonard. All these guys on short deals, they're not going to handicap you cap-wise, but you still have to get to 90% of the cap to be able to actually go out there and play basketball. So go do that. Acquire these meaningless contracts. But guys who can space the floor, I think Julius Randle, as you mentioned, is a nightmare. A nightmare to play alongside R.J. Barrett because he's just a ball hog. He's always trying to get downhill. He thinks he can shoot a little bit, but he's really not great there. But I think you probably still have to eat that contract. If you can move off him, God, please do. But I just think their objective this year should be, okay, let's get a sense of how good R.J. is which is honestly all I really care about from this season. Let's give him and Mitchell Robinson an open court to run, pick, and roll and see what they're capable of offensively. And don't go get one of these guys who isn't going to turn you into contender and you'd be overpaying for. Try to actually successfully tank. And I think that that starts with seeing what you have in RJ. So let's look to the draft now where the Knicks can have some optimism because that's where you actually build for the future. They will be picking... Eighth in this draft, maybe not ideal for them, but still pretty good in the scheme of things. Who do you want them to take there? Uh, I think Onyeka Onkongwu makes a lot of sense, especially with what we saw uh, out of Miami this season with what Bam Adebayo did for Miami. If Okongwu can play like that, if he can provide solid defense, solid rim protection, and uh, you know just potential spacing the floor, just really high IQ basketball... Um, if they don't go out and get Van Vliet, if guard is their focus, I think there's a lot here at the top that they could go with. Uh, LaMelo Ball is obviously not going to be available, but 
Killian Hayes, maybe, if he's available. I think he's got really high upside as a passer and a playmaker. Maybe Tyrese Halliburton with whatever you're feeling. But uh, I prefer Okongwu just because in the modern NBA, I think he provides so much just as a versatile defender, as a passer, as a shot blocker. Uh, I think he's just going to be a really solid modern-day big man. I love Onyeka, and I would love him for the Knicks. Although, they do have Mitchell Robinson there. I would kind of just love him anywhere. My first guy who I just think, man, he would be fantastic is Killian Hayes because he's that kind of complimentary guy who doesn't need to dominate the ball. I think he and RJ could coexist, but I just don't think he's going to be there at eight. His stock continues to rise. It seems to me like he's probably going to go top five at this point. So I guess I'll say Isaac Okoro. I think that he is at least pretty much a guaranteed monster defensively. Obviously, questions as far as the jump shot only shot 28.5% from deep in college, but a good 3 and D guy isn't bad out of this draft. I thought about maybe Obi Toppin. There's some intrigue offensively there, but I just don't think you can take a lead guard to play alongside RJ unless it's Killian Hayes because no one else has that complementary skill set. I think that Halliburton and RJ could be disastrous because those are two guys whose preference is to get downhill for both of them. They're not necessarily preferred shooters, and I, they both kind of need to have the ball in their hands at all times. I just don't feel really good about that. I don't feel like the Knicks are going to walk into any home runs in this draft, and it's not ideal, but I think Okora is a guy who you can look at and say, okay, at least he'll probably be pretty good, and then we can take another big swing next year when we hopefully have a top three, top four pick or whenever they can, whatever they can manage. Looking to the second round, they also pick 38. Who do you think about for them there? Uh, just like any other team here in the second round, get a shooter. Jameis Ramsey, I'm going to say him for damn near every team uh if they want to look at, <laughs> if they want to look at another big man uh maybe Kelly Attili out of uh, Gonzaga just because uh, I think he's got a lot of upside as a stretch big and um honestly playmaking for a big guy but he does have his injury concerns uh who are you thinking for the second round I thought about Paul Reed who I think is really great defensively has some shooting potential I honestly just wanted to mix it up from saying every team should go with a shooter. I don't know that it really matters that much for this <laughs> Knicks team. They're probably going to screw over whoever they get. And that's my fear with Okoro as well, is that they're never going to develop him a jump shot. Like, they're going to be, hey, what if you started shooting with your other hand? Because that is what RJ Barrett is doing right now. He's probably shooting with his wrong hand, which is awesome. It's just awesome. So let's move on from the Knicks, because dire straits, and honestly, not that much fun to talk about. Kind of just sad. Let's get into a team that could have a sad outcome at the end of this year if they blow it, or could maybe be holding that Larry O'Brien trophy, and that is the Milwaukee Bucks. So I have some radical plans for them as well. I see you doing a mischievous hand rubbing there. What are you thinking? Trade Giannis to the Golden State Warriors for the second pick, the Minnesota first in 2021, Andrew Wiggins, Eric Pascal, Jordan Poole, potentially another first if the Warriors are feeling froggy. Look, the Bucks think they can win a title next season. I don't. I'm laying out a better plan for you guys than having Giannis. All right, hear me out. You're getting a lot of assets here for the future. Your potential starting five this next season is Bledsoe, Wiggins, Middleton, Pascal, and Lopez. Then in the draft, you can go ahead and nab LaMelo Ball. It's a win-win in my eyes because then you can move Brooke Lopez or Eric Bledsoe and you have money open in 2022 to take a shot at another big star, which is a huge free agent class. Steph Curry, James Harden, 
Kevin Durant, Trey Young, Kyrie Irvin, Nikola Jokic, and I think if a team progresses that far, if Pascal's a good starter, Wiggins, Middleton, LaMelo, it's a perfect fit to slide in another superstar there and then go out and contend. Yes, it's radical, but I want to see the Warriors conquer the world. I'll be honest, I really do not like this at all. I went <laughs> the opposite direction. I think that they need to do some big risky stuff, but it is to try to win the championship right now when you still have Giannis, because when you have that kind of generational talent, you build around him. So here's what I think. I've talked about this before. I want the Middleton for Chris Paul trade to happen. I need the kind of guy who can command the tempo of a game, be that elite contested shot maker. That is so important when Giannis is your best guy. And as I've said a million times, cannot get his own shot late in games. The Middleton is very good in that role, but I think that CP3 is just at a different level because he's your point guard. He's controlling the entire tempo of the game. And I also think, speaking of point guards, they should do a Bledsoe for Fournier deal because I think we've seen at this point Bledsoe's value in the playoffs drops off unimaginably to where he gave you under 12 a game on 39% shooting, 25% from deep in these playoffs. Contracts are pretty easy to get to match up with Fournier and yeah, maybe the Magic prefer Fournier as an asset. I would be willing to give up more than Bledsoe. I honestly might even throw in DiVincenzo as much as I like him to make that work. I really think that they need to move on from Bledsoe. It is clearly not working. So the goal for me is let's get natural scores around Giannis. Let's alleviate that pressure from these other role guys who aren't natural shot makers to all of a sudden be big time shot makers in the playoffs when they're not asked to do that all regular season. I also heard some talk about the Bucks considering Bogdan Bogdanovich. I would like that a lot for them. I think because he offers that same offensive explosion and that playmaking and that shooting, I don't know how that works cap-wise. I think they'd probably have to do some Jimmy rigging there, but it's not a big free agency for the Bucks. I think you re-sign Corver and Connaughton. I don't really care beyond that. I don't think there's really anyone of significance, but to me, it's about retooling this roster. So what do you think about my proposition? And I do want to get back into your Bucks warrior scenario because that fascinates me. Oh, no, I, I think it's a really smart move. I'm just, I'm skeptical as if the Oklahoma City Thunder are going to move on from Chris Paul, but honestly, for the future, I think it helps both teams. The Thunder get a guy who can run the three, who can, I, I think it makes sense too with Chris Paul because I don't think the Thunder are going to win anything big time out of the West because they have such a young roster and they're losing Gallinari. If Chris Paul comes over to the Bucks, that makes them immediate contenders. And I am going to push back on the fact that you said Middleton's great at the end of games, closing out and shooting. We haven't seen that from Middleton. Chris Paul would be a definite upgrade. I want to see that happen because, look, man, the Bucks probably aren't going to win a title if they move on from Giannis. This is their, these next three years, however long you have Giannis, is your window to win a title until he moves on and potentially can keep him for future years. The Chris Paul trade makes a lot of sense. So that is my thing. This may be your last year with Giannis. That is a very real possibility in my eyes, and I think that you just have to go all in on that. But when you go the opposite direction, besides you wanting to see that Warriors super team, why would the Bucks actually do that and pull the trigger? Because, like I said, I think it makes sense for 2022 just because you have money open for these big free agents. Now, do I genuinely think Steph Curry or James Harden is trying to move to Milwaukee? No, probably not. <laughs> but uh, I think it'd be intriguing if LaMelo Ball becomes a top-10 point guard. You have a young guy in Andrew Wiggins who... Uh, I don't know. 
I don't know if Wiggins is going to get any better. But then you have a guy <laughs> like Middleton and Pascal. There's just a lot of young talent here that also, uh, I don't even know if I mentioned, Nikola Jokic would be a free agent in 2022. Maybe you bring him over from Denver and fill him right in there. Jokic, Pascal, Middleton, Wiggins, LaMelo Ball, uh, 2022 title champions. I just think it gets them younger and it gets them out of the scenario in which they lose Giannis completely without getting anything in return. That's true, and that I think is the most valid point because it's tough to sell me in any way that you are going to get a dollar for a dollar when you give up Giannis Antetokounmpo, but if you really feel you're not going to get him, that's a different thing. I just think that they need to at least take that chance. That's my philosophy. When you have a guy like that, the back-to-back MVP, and when you've been on a 60-plus win pace for consecutive seasons, yes, this is a very flawed roster, And I don't think Giannis is the fatal flaw there. I think he's part of it, and I think we've seen that. I also think that he is the thing that makes you most special. So let's look at the draft now. Who do you have them going with at 24th, which is their only pick? Um, If he's still around, I want them to take the big man. I'm going to butcher this name. Um, Alexej Pokusevsky. I hope I hit that right. Uh, You didn't butcher it at all. You got that exactly right. Let's go. Um, I think he just has really high upside, especially if you're going to have Giannis in as your guy. Bring in another potential guy. They took a flyer on Giannis in 2013 when he was just an unknown kid from Greece. If Pokusevsky is there at 24, which I'm skeptical to think that he might not be because his stock continues to rise as you know he's drawn comps to Lamar Odom, other big guys who can handle the rock. Uh, if he's there, take a flyer on him. See if you can turn him into a star. Build some weight on him because the Bucks did that with Giannis. Um, if he's not, just get another shooter for Giannis. You can't go wrong. Poku is such a fascinating prospect because there's so many things that he does that are intriguing. You talk about the handle, the playmaking, the shooting at his size where he's a seven-footer and he's capable of all this. There are also ugly moments with all those things, and when you watch a full game, there are times where you're like, that was a pretty bad decision. That was a pretty sloppy handle. And yeah, it's fascinating to have a guy who can do that. I will not deny that. I don't know for the Bucks though, if they want to invest in a project right now. Maybe they should because their rotation is pretty solid, but I sort of looked at some guys who could be Swiss Army knives for them. I consider Josh Green again. I'm going to go with Leandro Bomaro, who I think, another international guy obviously, has the potential to be a versatile defender for them, is a relatively big playmaker, great passing instincts. He's a capable shooter who could possibly improve there. I think he could be really good for their second unit. I think he contributes immediately. I also think Green would make sense though, just because it does seem like he's improved as a shooter and he can step right into that 3 and D role in a way that we've seen DiVincenzo already do because you don't necessarily have to be exceptional to contribute in this Buck system in that role. Let's move on to the Indiana Pacers, who obviously had a frustrating end of the season just because they weren't able to be fully healthy when they needed to be most. I want to start with Victor Oladipo because they offered him a four-year $80 million extension way back when he rejected that boldly uh, he he wasn't totally cohesive for them throughout the season. We also didn't see him fully healthy. So what do you think they do with Oladipo? Do they bring him back and try to run it back? Do they try some sort of trade? What do you think there? How much longer does he have left on this deal? One year. When you, uh, I mean, I think you stick it out just because the Pacers that are such a lack of assets to do anything. I mean, yes, you can move off Oladipo and get some young guys, but... I think this team, high upside, could end up being a five seed in the East if everything goes right. They have a solid lineup now. Um, So, yeah, I mean, ride it out with VO. See if you can bring him back after this season. Uh, This offseason is going to be extremely boring for Indiana if they don't. I think they should stick with being boring. They already really have their roster set out. You brought in your new coach. I say ride it out. Um, 
Do you think that the, I've heard talks of maybe Victor Oladipo to the Nets for the young assets that we discussed earlier? Do you think there's any count to that? Are there other any other destinations you see Victor Oladipo landing? I think that they should bring Oladipo back too. And my reason is his value is at an all-time low right now. And we saw some schematic issues with him and Brogdon, but I still think that they can coexist. I think everything I said before last season when I was optimistic about their fit is still reasonable. If we just see Vic be activated as a cutter, and if we see some guard-on-guard screens where he's that off-ball weapon and they really are comfortable where they're both playing off and on the ball, then I think that they could be really good. It's just up to them to embrace that. But I agree for the most part, this is probably going to be a boring offseason for Indiana. My only other question is, there's another guy who I think isn't necessarily an ideal basketball fit, Miles Turner. Do they do anything with him? I don't. I mean, I've heard a lot of criticisms of Turner, and I'd say you could maybe draw that back to lack of effort on his part and what we've seen. He just doesn't... It seems like a tough fit along their downside with Sabonis. I don't think you do. I think Turner's honestly a really good fit for any offensive system. He's a big guy who can stretch the floor and he can block shots. So I'd say stick it out with Miles Turner and hope he pops. If not, I'd honestly love to see Miles Turner in Houston. I think he'd fit really well alongside a guy like James Harden. I don't know what potential trades you could make to get Miles Turner out there and get value back, but uh, no, I'd say hang on to Miles as well. So Turner to Houston is something that I briefly discussed with my friend Eric Ruby. And I thought maybe a Turner for Rocco deal could be possible because the Rockets, if they want to give themselves a little more versatility to where they're not all in on the small ball, I think Rocco's probably just a straight up better player. I think he'd be really good in Indiana though. My thing is, when you look at Turner, now back-to-back seasons with negative on-off splits, he is an awkward fit with Sabonis, but I think it works well enough because he protects Sabonis from having to be that rim protector and When the Pacers played their five best guys this year, which was Brogdon, Warren, Lamb, because Oladipo wasn't out there for most of the year, Sabonis and Turner, they had a defensive rating of 99, a net rating of plus eight, which is stingy, man. Stingy. And they can be really elite on that end, so I don't think that they need radical change. I have my questions about Turner. I wish he was a little more dynamic. I wish that he was a more refined player than basically just being that below-average post guy and... Obviously, a pretty good three-point shooter, also not exceptional there, but defensively, he's very valuable. So as we look to free agency, we've both sort of said it's going to be boring. They're good. They're going to stay good. I think that they re-sign Justin Holiday because I love their bench, and I think that then they're kind of set for the season. Do you see anything else happening for this team? No, I hate that my only take is, yeah, you guys should re-sign Justin Holiday. Um, the only move outside of Holiday I think they can make is, depending on your faith in TJ Leaf and Goga Batadze, Maybe bring in a backup big like Chank Diallo or Harry Giles. Outside of that, yeah, sorry, your your big sign-in is going to be bringing Justin Holiday back. So that leads into their only pick of the draft, which is 54th. So when we say it's going to be a boring offseason, we really mean that unless they do swing one of these deals. I think I agree. We don't really know what Goga is yet. Maybe he's better. I think we do know what TJ Leaf is, and he's not going to fill that role long term. I thought maybe Austin Wiley or Nick Richards, but I don't really see anyone playing, and I'm not sure that either of those guys are going to be better than Goga. Anyone else stand out to you? Uh, If Cassius Winston is still around, I think he'd be a good addition just because uh, the guard play for Indiana has been solid. He's got some guys to learn under, uh, like uh, TJ McConnell, Brogdon. It'd just be another guy to fit into the system and have play basketball in a few years, send him to the G League, let him progress, but... (laughs) 
Justin Holiday in the 54th pick, man. Indiana is spoiled in riches this offseason, man. They're going to be really good, though, and I'm excited to see what they look like fully healthy because I loved watching Brogdon Sabonis this year. We had the TJ Warren explosion, and Oladipo, we haven't seen in a couple years, but he was special in that 16-17 season, and I don't know if he gets back anywhere close to that. He probably doesn't get back to that level, but if he can give you quality 18 a game and is obviously a great secondary playmaker, brings great defense, this team could be really good, and they could win a playoff series even in a East that is kind of stacked for next year. The NBA right now is just unreal, although there is probably still going to be a pretty weak eighth seed in the East, and they're just not going to compare to any of the other playoff teams across both conferences. Speaking of eighth seeds in the East, Logan, the Chicago Bulls, who you famously picked for the playoffs this season, and I want to say that I did that two years ago as well, so it's not like you're the only one to ever have that bad take. I did say that I think I think I actually predicted they would win 36 games but still make the playoffs because I thought so little of the East. But this team just makes me sad right now. What do you think that they're going to do this offseason? So Otto Porter Jr. is going to opt into his player option. He's not going to turn down all that money. Uh, I think that the Bulls have to make a decision on one of these young guys not being their starter for the future. And I don't know if that's Markin and I don't know if it's Carter, but the Bulls are just stuck in, like, the sunken place right now. They're just in the middle of non-title contention, not even making the playoffs, but they have a dominant scorer like Zach Levine, so you're going to stay competitive in every game you play. Um, they've got to decide on Markin and Carter first and foremost. I think that their draft pick should be pretty obvious. I think that you have to go out and get Denny uh, Avidia just because Otto's going to be off the books. Slide Denny in there next season, and he is going to be the guy the Chicago Bulls build around as uh, the years pass on. I think he's the star that could potentially make all of these guys better because Otto Porter Jr. is certainly not the answer. I like Denny a lot for them at four. I want to look at free agency a little bit, though, and just take a step back there because Otto is going to opt in, and that sucks for them. Thad Young, they're paying $13.5 million. I think their only real question for agency-wise is do they bring back Chris Dunn, who was awesome defensively, but also so bad offensively, and I just don't see the point. So if they let him go, they'll have like $9 million in cap. And I guess since it seems like they want to be a playoff team, maybe you try to unload Young or Sadoransky or maybe both to a bad team that'll take on those mid-size contracts without too much time left on them. And maybe you get up to 15 to $18 million in cap space. And then I think you can actually do a little something. Because if you want to be the 8th seed, which it seems like they want to do, that's fine. Go ahead and do it. So there are four guys who I looked at if they get to that 15 to $18 million range. First guy is Bogdan Bogdanovich, who adds playmaking, who adds scoring. Obviously really talented. He can be a little ball hoggy, though. And I'm not sure that's great with Levine and White, who are two of the biggest ball hogs in basketball. But there's potential there. Jeremy Grant was another guy would be awesome, would elevate them defensively, doesn't really need touches outside of just quality looks from three and when he's cutting to the bucket. I'm just not sure why Denver would give him up. Bertans is another guy. I also don't know why Washington would give him up. Malik Beasley is another guy who was obviously playing fantastic in Minnesota, but I just, I assume the Timberwolves want to keep him because they just got him. So I said there are four options. I don't think there are four options who can realistically go to Chicago. So maybe you go get bogged on. I don't know how much he helps them win, I also thought about Paul Millsap as a culture guy. I don't think he can play alongside that front court of Markkinen and Carter, though. So if you want to maximize talent, go out there and get bogged on. What's interesting to me is when I looked at the draft, you talked about how you don't think that Markkinen and Carter can coexist long-term. And I don't think that's necessarily the case because they're both guys who, if they maximize their talent, can space the floor. And 
I think that defensively, obviously, Markkanen can't be your five. Carter has to be your five and can be really good there. I think that can all work. Where I look at the two promising star-level guys on this team who can never coexist, in my opinion, are Kobe White and Zach Levine. I don't think they can coexist. So, I think going forth, I would take Killian Hayes. And Denny, I love. That totally makes sense as well. But Hayes is the rare kind of true point guard who can get his own. He can also create for others. He's awesome out of the pick and roll. He has the length to affect the game defensively. I think he's the kind of all-around point guard that they really need because Kobe White will not be a point guard in this league. And Zach Levine cannot be running your offense either. So you need to have the kind of guy who can set up for those two, who can compensate for their deficiencies defensively, who can also get his own bucket. And I think Hayes can be that kind of lead guard for them long-term. Uh, I would just like to correct uh, Mr. Carson Breber at this moment. Uh, I think that Markin and Carter can coexist, but I just think both of them suck too much to win some basketball <laughs> games with them in the starting lineup. So I think you just have to get better options moving forward is really my case with the two. Um, yeah, and if they maximize their talent, <laughs> they'll be great. But I have seen so little progression out of Laurie Markin and only 14 points a game this season. And Wendell Carter brings in questions of his own. I have a question for you, uh, two of them. So, you said you wanted to bring Bogdan in. Do the Kings just let him go? I think they might. I honestly don't think he's the best basketball fit there, and I don't know if he's the best basketball fit in Chicago either, but I think Chicago is kind of starved for talent. And so, does Killian Hayes start immediately, or do you let Kobe White start this year as more of a transition season? That's the thing, because White and Levine are still on your roster this year for no matter what, and... Kobe White is not an NBA point guard. He cannot run your offense, in my opinion. I just think he doesn't have the sophistication. His tendency is just to shoot the ball every time. He's not there as a playmaker. So maybe Kobe comes off the bench again this year. I do think there might be some frustration there because he thinks, well, I'm already in year two. This Hayes kid, this French guy, is in year one, and he's starting over me. So maybe it's Levine-White decision time, but I do think that the Bulls are probably going to try to postpone that for as long as they can. It is going to have to happen at some point, though. And I apologize for misinterpreting your Carter Markkinen point. The fact that they both suck is very fair. My hope is just that we see second-year Laurie Markkinen again, that we see what we saw from Wendell Carter Jr. in college, and that he builds upon what we saw in his rookie year. I still like both of those guys deep down and think that they can be good there, just like I love Chandler Hutchison and just like I used to love Zach Levine and everyone that ends up in Chicago, just like Otto Porter Jr. used to be a good basketball player. <sighs> it's just where, where NBA players go to suck. So they also pick 44th, not as inspiring. Does anyone stand out to you for the Bulls there? Uh, like I said, I think they need to take a look at the big man in the draft. Um my man Vernon Carey Jr. will be available. Uh, Zeke Naji makes a little sense, I think, just because he's so drastically different from Markkinen and Carter. He's more of a rebounder and defender, which the Bulls severely need off the bench, at least, to start out. I think he could play minutes for them immediately out of the draft and uh, provide some sort of role off of the bench uh, in replacement for them. But I also think that the Bulls need another veteran big man to coach up these young guys because, as you mentioned with Paul Millsap and the veteran leadership, I think there's a certain lack of that just throughout the Bulls roster entirely. I totally agree. So, not to take it back to free agency, but when you talk about them moving on from Markkinen or Carter, does anyone stand out to you in this market who they could bring in that would actually supplement there? Unless you're bringing in Aaron Baines, no. Just, uh, this class is 
bad. Uh, unless they swing for the fences, because there are trades to be made. You could deal Markin and Carter for one big man or a wing, but no, I don't think there's anybody in free agency that could... As much as I don't like Markin and Carter, I don't think there's a whole lot of guys that are better than them available in free agency. I concur. So, 44th, I would throw out a couple guys who I've already named. Jordan Wara, Paul Reed. I kind of want either a shooter or a defensive stud for this team, and I feel like those are two guys who fill that role. Probably not going to be a guy who contributes immediately or develops into a long-term piece. Let's look at another team now that is sort of at decision-making time in the Detroit Pistons who are in a pretty brutal situation. They're not moving Blake Griffin. They still owe him $75 million over the next two years. They also have by far the most cap of any team that we have on the docket for today. Only $71 million committed next year. Could have $45 million bucks in cap. And I think that this is a fork-in-the-road moment for them. What do they do? I'm going to tell you what they shouldn't do. Do not go out and give Ben Gordon, Josh Smith, Rodney Stuckey-style contracts out because you will tank your franchise for the future. The first move they should make is re-signing Christian Wood. He's an extremely valuable asset. He can do everything for this roster. He was Carson's Twitter header briefly. Um, so I, Christian Wood is a must-have. Then throw yourself at every young free agent that you have confidence in. I mean, young guys that aren't going to eat up your cap over the next two seasons. Because as you mentioned, it's decision-making time. More importantly, it's right at out time. You've got to grind out these next two seasons of Blake Griffin's contract before you can actually make any big-time moves. But also that timetable works out because 2022 free agency, as I've mentioned, has a lot of studs in it. Um, you just don't want to give up your cap flexibility for the next few seasons. So pick out a few of the young guys that you really believe in. Maybe a um, Christian Wood, you have to, but... I don't know. I don't know anybody who'd want to come and play for Detroit. Yeah. I think that basically sums up their past decade plus of basketball. And I think that they have a couple options here. I think they can launch into a full tank where they just try to go worst team in basketball mode. Or they can sort of try to simultaneously build around their young core and be a playoff team while they still have Blake on the books and while they have Derrick Rose. And I love Kennard and Wood, but they're 24 and 25. They will obviously never be a championship-leading duo. They can be really great role players on a really good team. The Pistons are not close to that right now. And can I see this team retooling and making the playoffs? I actually totally can because I think a Rose, Kennard, Snell, Griffin, Wood lineup is easily playoff-worthy out West. And the bench, not ideal, but I also think that financially, at least, they could maybe get Van Vliet or Drogic. I don't think either of those guys are dying to leave their basketball situations, but they will have the money but the reason I don't think they should go in on that is because if they just wait one more year, then all of their current contracts of any value are expired except for Blake Griffin. And maybe they can then at that point swing Blake Griffin because he is that kind of, he's on an expiring and you can offload him. And even if you have to give up a minor asset, so be it. They also have to fill this cap somehow and they have Blake no matter what. I think that what they have to do and this makes me so sad because I want to see Christian Wood and Luke Kennard play together so badly. I think you bail on everything at this point. I think you trade Kennard for a first-round pick. I think you trade Derrick Rose for a first-round pick. I think that you probably sign Christian Wood back just to then deal him for an asset, get a first-round pick out of it. I think it's time for an epic tank. And maybe 
I would look at this differently if it were a different organization, but the Pistons have been resisting the tank for the past 12 years. They haven't picked higher than 7th in that whole time. So from the stretch when they were an Eastern Conference team to now, an Eastern Conference Finals team to now, they have never been terrible. Their top 10 picks in that stretch have been Greg Monroe, Brandon Knight, KCP, Stanley Johnson, and one good guy in Andre Drummond who they just decided to move on from. So I can look at these individual guys and say, I love them. I love Kennard. I love Wood. Derrick Rose is playing great basketball right now, but what are they bringing to this team that has 19-year-old Sekou Dumboya as the piece who they're invested in long-term? I just think that at some point, you have to stop trying to be mediocre, and you have to accept that it's time to suck. Do you think there's any value of keeping Derrick Rose on the roster if they choose to get a young point guard at 7? I think that maybe there's some potential value there. I also think that D. Rose himself is probably going to want to play for a good team at this phase in his career. And again, it's all these guys who I like individually, but what do they mean for this Detroit team? Nothing. They're going to bring them to maybe 35 wins instead of 15, and it's better to win 15 games right now, even though obviously the lottery system has changed to where it's not as favorable to just be that terrible, but your chances are still better. So let's look to the draft now. You just mentioned it for a second, and... I sort of feel bad for them as far as how their spot shook out because I think Onyeka would be awesome for them, but basically every mock I've looked at says that he's going to be going to the Hawks, which I think makes tremendous sense for them as well. So they're picking seven. Who do you see them taking? Uh, my pick would be Killian Hayes if he's available. Uh, I know you just said he's, you think he should go forth to the Bulls, so if he's not available, obviously that can't happen. Um, but I just think that Hayes has, as you mentioned, the upside of potentially the best being the best player in this draft class. He's a great playmaker. He knows how to run the pick and roll, and he's a tremendous off-ball shooter. So I think he just works as the guy to build around. You get your young point guard, your Kyrie Irving, so to speak, to build around, and in a few years when guys want to play with that good point guard, when you have money and cap space to do it, it should be easy to drag free agents to Detroit. Hayes would be a dream come true. I just don't think he's going to be there at this point. I think that they have two realistic options who I'm okay with in Halliburton or Okoro. I lean Okoro. I know I also projected him to the Knicks, but you know what? These are in parallel universes. I'll do whatever I want. This is what each of these teams individually should do. Just because Okoro's destiny is kind of as that complimentary 3 and D guy, he's never going to be your best player. So it's very likely that this is not a wasted pick because with the vision I have outlined, the Pistons are hopefully going to be picking top three of the draft the next couple years, where next year is obviously a loaded class. Maybe they can get some of those awe-inspiring talents then. And I also think that Halliburton could end up being better than Okoro because he's a 6'6 guy with awesome passing ability, can deliver it from all these angles, great vision, insane length, shot well at the college level. I have questions, though, about how that shot translates because it wasn't really fluid, dynamic off the dribble. I see a world in which Halliburton is kind of MCW, and I don't love that world for the Detroit Pistons, and I think it might be more likely with them than another organization, so i probably just go safe and maybe take Okoro. I'm okay with either of those outcomes, though. And you push this off and you say, we'll get our star in the future. We're at least going big, or we're going to go home, because for so many years, they just have sucked, essentially, but they haven't sucked enough to actually get anything out of it. Speaking of sucking, oh my god. The Cleveland Cavaliers, our last team for today, God, I hate what they're doing. How much do you hate what they're doing, and how do you think they can go about approving this roster? Oh, it's horrible, and especially with where they're picking in this draft, of course, the Cleveland Cavaliers, at a time where 
point guards and centers are in an abundance at the fifth pick. They're just loaded at those two positions. Great. Thank you, Cleveland. So, the only... Uh, yeah, I hate what they're doing, man. I, I, don't, I don't get it. Their spacing doesn't make sense. They're, the, only, the only good thing that's happening for Cleveland this offseason is they're getting off Tristan Thompson's big deal, and they're getting off Matthew Dellavedova's big deal. Outside of that, you're paying Andre Drummond again. You're paying Kevin Love until he's going to be an old man walking with his cane on the floor. So, they're just going to suck again, man. Yeah. Uh, when you have Drummond and Love together, I just don't know where you go. I thought maybe mid-level exception, Bryn Forbes, Alec Burks, just a shooter who can fill that role competently. But I think you have to look at the draft. And when I look at them picking fifth, my favorite guy by far would be Denny Avidia. And I don't know if he'll be available there, but I think there's a very real world in which he is. And as you mentioned, you can't go back to the backcourt. You're not going to take Onyeka. This isn't a situation for him to grow in. And Denny can come in immediately. I think he is a sure thing. His shot looks improved. Obviously, so versatile defensively. He's a big playmaker, which is what everyone wants in basketball right now. And I think he could seamlessly fill that Chetty Osman role just and be a lot better at it. He's not going to be the best player on a championship team, probably, because I don't know if his upside as a scorer is there to where he's a 25-point-per-game guy. But as an all-around player, as sort of a peak Nick Batum type who is a really good player, that's what I think Denny will be in this league. And for this Cavs team, that is a godsend for them right now to have that kind of foundational piece. And then you figure out if Garland or Sexton is the guy. It sucks that they have Kevin Love on the books for so long. If they extend Andre Drummond, then I'm just done talking about the Cleveland Cavaliers. I don't want to acknowledge they exist anymore because that would just make me so sad. But especially if Denny was there. Oh my God, Denny, my favorite guy on the planet. They don't have a second round pick, so good for them. When you look at the draft, what do you think is best for them? Obviously, I want them to get a video. I don't think he'll be available. Um, I think Devin Vassell is another option here as well. I think that Vassell is going to be a solid contributor off the bat, just on-ball defense and three-point shooting-wise. Uh, and I don't think he's really a a big-time bust guy. I think he'll contribute right off the bat, and he has a pretty uh, high uh, floor. But you know who I think they're going to take Carson? I think they're going to take the, the worst possible prospect that just— because they're the Cavs. They're going to take Obi Toppin because he went to Dayton. He's a crazy athlete. And the only reason that I hate it, because I like Toppin as a basketball player. Just give me one game. Yeah, I'll take Obi Toppin. He's an extreme athlete. He's developing his jumper. But he's he's old. He does not help this team spacing-wise because you're, you would be running a potential lineup of... <laughs> this just makes me laugh saying it out loud. Darius Garland... Kevin Porter Jr. or Colin Sexton. And then you've got Obi Toppin, <laughs> Drummond, and Kevin Love. It would be horrible. This team would be the worst offense in the league by far because you got two guys trying to run ISO and don't want to go off screens whatsoever. And then when you do kick it out to the corner, you got Andre Drummond and Obi <laughs> Toppin throwing up some bricks. Also, I'm not as big a fan as Obi Toppin defensively because I think he gets lost a little bit in the pick and roll. Um, guys, don't take Obi, please. I love him. I think he can be a Kyle Kuzma-type guy, but... They got to go young. I think they have to take Avidia or Vassell for the future. If they don't, yeah, let's just be done. Let's just, let's nuke the Cavs. I'm honestly all in on that plan right now because I'm not going to sit there and watch Andre Drummond post-ups for the next five years when they have some legitimately, potentially talented young players on this roster. I still like Garland. I still think he can be great. He showed flashes. And I love Denny. If they don't go Denny, Vassell is okay. Five is a little high for him, in my opinion, just because the ceiling is so low. And even in a draft like this, where there aren't many sure things, 
fifth overall to basically just say, okay, I'll take an okay three and D guy is a little bit sad to me. And also he just changed his shot, which is a little concerning. There have been some videos circulating and it looks like a shot put. And I do not feel good about that. So if they don't get Denny, they're not going to be able to take a guy like Hayes or a guy like Onyeka because they are loaded at those positions. And then they're just screwed. And then it's just, that's life in Cleveland. So on that note, that will do it for us here today. We are going to continue to do this, obviously, over the next couple weeks, looking at the other four divisions in basketball, and then we'll get straight into draft stuff. This is a fast-paced but really fun offseason, and even though this free agency isn't loaded and even though this draft kind of sucks, the offseason in the NBA is always fun. So I've been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sash. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.